Welcome back to the Emergency Goalies, a uh, Blackhawks podcast. And uh, we're going to just jump right into a recap of this week. There were three games. Uh, the first game was against the Winnipeg Jets on a Friday night. And um, this was an interesting game. Dramatic, I will say. Uh, the Jets scored first, take a one nothing lead, as often happens in uh, games lately with the Blackhawks. But then the Blackhawks stormed back. A couple of uh, Jonathan Taves goals gave the Blackhawks a 2-1 lead in the second period. But, of course, this being the Blackhawks, they uh, couldn't hold the lead for long, and the Jets scored two goals at the end of the second period to take a 3-2 lead into the third. And it stayed that way until the final minute of the third period. Actually, the final 10 seconds of the period. Uh, with a goalie pulled, the Blackhawks actually tied the game at three on an Eric Gustafson goal. And it was, it was dramatic. I mean, like, clock was running down. And so they tied it 3-3 and got the game to overtime. Of course, uh, three-on-three is not the Blackhawks' friend with their defense this year. And uh, the Jets scored within the first minute to win the game 4-3 in overtime. Uh, Then Sunday's game, and obviously I'm going to talk a a little bit about the actual game, but something that happened in the game is of probably much more importance than the actual game. Uh, Anyway, things got off to a weird start for the Blackhawks this season, they actually had a lead, a two-goal lead in the first period. They scored the first two goals of the game, and I think everyone was kind of shocked by that. Uh, Alex Dubrinkit scored, and Dylan Strom got another goal. So that gave the Blackhawks a 2 nothing lead. Of course, the Sharks scored two goals within a minute to you know, tie the game back up in the first period because, I mean, Blackhawks defense comes through again. Uh, then they got a, the Blackhawks got a goal to go back up 3-2. Uh, Perlini got his first Blackhawks goal on a rebound, crashed the net. But um, the real drama in the game happened after that, late in the first period. Uh, Evander Kane got tangled up for the Sharks and uh, crashed into the goalie, uh, Corey Crawford. And Crawford fell back and hit his head directly off the post. And it, it was bad immediately. Um It took him a while to get up, and he was very woozy when he did get up, and he was, of course, out for the rest of the game. After the game, the uh, Blackhawks announced he had a concussion, and there's no timetable for his return. Obviously, we're going to get back to that in a minute, but as for the rest of the game, the wheels on the bus fell off after that. Uh, Cam Ward came in, and the Sharks scored five consecutive goals, eventually winning 7-3, to so... That wasn't much to write home about. Uh, I will say Ward didn't actually play that bad in the, in his relief role in that game, though. No, he did. It was just that you kind of got the the air was after the Crawford injury. The yeah, air I, just think, I think the up. air just kind of left the team, and I I think they were all worried about Crawford, and it just it fell apart from there. Yeah, and then of course, finally uh, Tuesday, yesterday, we're recording this on Wednesday. Uh, the Blackhawks played the National Predators. And um, the Predators scored first again. Uh, kind of a, not the best goal that Cam Ward's allowed, but I wouldn't say it was like a horrible goal. But um, then in the second period, uh, the Blackhawks scored two goals from their defensemen, uh, Forsling and Gustafson. Um, 
to take a 2-1 lead. And they actually, they this is a rare game where the Blackhawks pretty much dominated the whole game. I mean, especially the first two periods. They could have been up 4-5-1 or five to one in that game. But uh, Pecorino played very well. But then in the third period, the Nashville kind of turned it on. But the Blackhawks were able to hold off, and they got a rare 2-1 to one win, which was nice to see. But obviously, as I uh, kick it to you, Michael, the big story is uh, Crawford's injury and honestly yeah. the rest of his career. Right, yeah, the repercussions of uh, that play, um, you know, could have resounding effects, not just for Crawford, but, you know, for the the Blackhawks franchise as well. Um, you know, obviously, uh, uh, as far as Crawford goes, you know, the – your your first thought is always, you know, um, hopefully it's not career ending. Um, but at the same time, you know, given given the amount of time it took him to come back from his last concussion and the amount of uh, post concussion symptoms, oh jeez, my dog is wanting to play ball at the moment. Um, but uh, yeah, given given the amount of post concussion symptoms he suffered, it uh, you know it, it's at this point we're 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 in unknown territory. Um, obviously, too early to even gauge how long he might be out or if he'll ever be able to come back. Um, but you know, just from a fan perspective of having to look at potential worst case scenarios where this is career ending for him. Um, you know, a lot of the, you know, whatever slim hopes we've had for, you know, a quick turnaround for, you know, the franchise to be able to reestablish itself as a, um, you know, a legitimate playoff team and or cup contender. Um, you know, a lot of that rested on, having the good Corey Crawford back. And even though it wasn't his best season this year, it was at least encouraging, um, you know, that he was playing well most of the time. And, you know, he kind of looked like his old self most of the time. So, um, you know, you at least had a little bit of hope that if they could get the, the forward group sorted out and some of the young defensemen could, integrate themselves quickly that uh, they, w- they wouldn't have to worry about goaltending. But now that, uh, that, that concern has to sort of move to the forefront, if anything. I mean, obviously, they still got to fix the defense first until they fix the defense that, you know, goaltending makes little difference. But, um, yeah, I mean, at this point, uh, you know, a lot's going to rest on Colin Deli, right? Uh, you know, at this point, uh, he's been the guy that sort of emerged as the potential goalie of the future. Um, an undrafted guy who um, they they liked his potential, they liked his size, but he had never performed all that well. Uh, you know, as he come came up, but. Uh, um, the Hawks saw enough potential in him. And, you know, I know, I, I know I read some 
reports on him where uh, they they made a couple of mechanical changes to him, um, and then also um, like as far as his glove positioning and stuff, and uh, had him kind of rework his game uh, from the ground up. And they um, he started last season actually in the uh, ECHL rather than the AHL, even though he was he was kind of shuttled back and forth between the two teams. He'd actually. Um, I guess, uh, spend a lot of practice time with Rockford so that he could work with the goalie coaches there. And then he'd go down to the ECHL in Indianapolis for, uh, the games. Um, and he put together a pretty remarkable turnaround in his game. Um, you know, changing mechanics and that, uh, is not a, you know, an easy thing to do, especially during a season, but uh, he managed to pull it off very quickly. Uh, the results showed right away and he worked himself into, uh, you know, a, a, a tandem role in Rockford. And then as the Rockford season progressed last year and uh, they, they made their playoff run, uh, Delia took over as the main guy and performed uh, really well. Uh, he did uh, get a little cup of coffee with the Blackhawks as well. Um, he came on in relief in one game, and I think he started one game. I can't even remember now. But um, and now, so yeah, um, he he started off this year, uh, came in, and he won the number one job in Rockford, uh, even after Anton Forsberg went down there after Crawford returned in Chicago. Uh, Forsberg played pretty well, but uh, Delia outplayed him and held on to his job. And uh, he's been one of, if not the leader in goals against and save percentage down in the AHL throughout the year. And so, yeah, now he's been summoned to Chicago and, you know, he's a 24 year old and his success is relatively new, but um you know, the, the talk seems around the organization to think that uh, he's at least a potential good backup for them. Um, you know, they, they, they haven't had much success developing defensemen in the system, but the one thing the organization has been able to do over the last 10 years or so is identify goalies with the traits necessary to succeed and give them a little bit of time down in the AHL and they've been able to cycle through. I mean, we saw it with Niemi obviously in the cup first cup year, then Crawford uh, came up and then, you know, you know, cycling through Crawford's backups, like um, Auntie Ranta, uh, Scott Darling, Carter Hutton. Um, you know, all these guys have gone on, uh, obviously Darling failed at his opportunity as a starter, but that seems to have been more of a conditioning thing than talent thing. Um, but you know, Ronta has gone on to uh, great success and, uh, uh, now Carter Hutton finally, after a long time as a backup is, uh, thriving in his first starting role with the, with the Sabres. So, I mean, yeah, that's one thing the, the Hawks have been able to do. And so hopefully they can do it one more time here. And, you know, maybe Delia is going to be the guy. Because if yeah. not, well, you know, yeah, it's going to be tough. It's going to be rough for a while. But, um, yeah, with just, but just with Crawford, though, it was one of those things like the whole time he's been back, he just had 
going in the back of your mind, you're just like, what's going to happen when, you know, there's some kind of collision at the net. And it had been pretty, he'd been pretty much, there hadn't been any big major thing, but I mean, like when he got hurt uh, last year, it was, um, it was one of those things where you're like, you kind of remember, but you don't really remember the exact play as well. Yeah, I think there was a couple of plays where I I think he might have had a couple of concussions um, and it just kind of built up on him. But the last game he played was against the Devils, if I remember right. I don't I didn't remember any specific injury in that one. But yeah, but this one was like this. It was obvious. Yeah, yeah, it was immediate. Um, Yeah, you know, it's just one of those unfortunate circumstances he had got he had taken a puck off the mask a couple like a week or two ago and i remember getting really worried but he he seemed fine and you know he didn't come out of the game and continued to play well and so you know it was obvious you know it was just kind of a scare on my part but um yeah i you know at least with shots off of the mask and stuff the the padding on a goalie mask is, you know, forward facing. It's, it's meant to handle shots and blows to the front of the mask. There is not nearly the padding in the back of it. And obviously as he got knocked over backwards and hit the back of his head on the, uh, on the post, you know, it's, it's just not designed to be able to handle that. And even, you know, I mean, even we see it with football helmets and stuff, you know, there's only so much padding can do. You're, it's, it's, it's still going to cause problems for you, just striking your head no matter how much padding you have. So Yeah, and it's one of those things, too, where at this point you do, it's one of those things where I think he's got to debate, you know, like, do I keep doing this? You know, because it's, especially if this is, another yeah. like long recovery it's just for his own like future health and stuff yeah i mean you hope it doesn't come down to obsession and it's just you know it's not something where he is able to give it up um but you know i it, it's important that he at least you know that hopefully he at least asks himself the question and takes it seriously and you know, has those discussions with his family and his doctors and the team. And, um, yeah, you know, you just, you just got to hope that they're going to make the right decision for him. And and that may be to, to, that he can continue his career. I, I, you know, obviously, you know, not only am I not a doctor, but I'm not privy to what, you know, his recovery is going to be like, or what the long-term ramifications are. Um, so, you know, you just you just got to hope for the best, whatever whatever the decision ends up being. Yeah, and I guess that's. I mean, obviously, we'll keep an eye on this as the year goes on, and we'll see like what. Yeah, I mean, he's at least out for the week because they put him on IR. Um, I I I think he has to miss at least four games. I think it was seven days. So, um, you know, hopefully by that point, maybe we we get a little more information. But, you know, as we saw last year, Crawford wasn't big on talking about this. Uh, it was actually quite a big mystery. And, um, you know, a lot of people kind of created some uh, false narrative. Well, at least, you know, you would assume are false narratives. 
about what was really causing Crawford to be out. And it is, it is interesting to note that, you know, this time they immediately said it was a concussion, no upper body or anything. They just said, well, that was, uh, I think that goes in line. And I don't know if maybe if it was a result of some of the, the press that happened around Crawford last year, but the, the Blackhawks uh, made uh, the decision as an organization this year to be more descriptive with injuries. They are not using lower body, upper body. They are saying what the problem is. Um, so that, uh, I guess that kind of goes in line. You know, they, 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 they weren't trying to hide it this year. So, um, but yeah, I, I just, you know, at this point it's, it's just really hard to, to comment in much detail on it. Cause you know, it's going to be, it's up in the air right now. And I assume it's going to be up in the air for quite some time. I mean, nobody recovers from a concussion, you know, in quite the same way. Every situation is different. Everybody has a different history with it. And, you know, just because it took, what was it? 10 months or whatever to, re- to recover last time doesn't mean it's going to take that long this time or it doesn't mean that it isn't going to be worse this time we just don't know yep well i guess we'll move on to another the other big news this week which i mean it's kind of a head scratcher i i wanted to get your take on it i mean i don't know if it's I, a lot of people are knee-jerk with like this was a really weird thing and they shouldn't have done it but uh henry yokiharu uh was loaned to the finnish national junior team for the annual world junior uh, hockey championships. And it is very unusual for a player that is in the NHL already to be loaned back for juniors. But what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's not something that we see very often. It seems like it maybe happens every couple of years. Um, I like the move. I, I I know the knee jerk is always, oh, you know, it's a waste of time that the team's trash. He should be getting as much NHL experience as possible. And I, he's going to miss five games or whatever it is. And that's not going to make a big difference in the long run. It's just, it's not a big deal. And you know, he's going to get a chance to, you know, instead of, I mean, I know he's kind of getting to be the guy a little bit in the NHL, but I mean, let's be honest, Duncan Keith is still the guy. <laughs> um, you know, he's the guy that's going to be looked to regardless of whether or not Yoki Haru is actually doing any of the heavy lifting on that pairing. But, you know, he's going to go down. Uh, you know, play with the players his own age and he's going to be able to play on that first pairing for Finland and he's going to be the guy. He's going to be the guy that has the NHL experience. He's the guy that everybody on that team is going to look to, to, you know, be the leader, be, and I I just think it's going to be a good experience for him. You know, I mean, he doesn't have a goal in the NHL this year. He does have a decent amount of assists, but you know, especially playing with Keith or when he's playing with Gustafson, those other guys are going to be the ones that are going to be carrying the puck more often. It's just, it's more a part of their game. Um, and there's going to be that little bit of deference, uh, you know, on the offensive end. And I think it'll be good for him to get, you know, a 
little bit of time where, again, he gets to be the guy and he's probably going to be the one that carries the puck more often, plays a little bit more in the offensive zone, hopefully gets a little more confidence from it. And he can come back and he's going to slide right back into the lineup and it's not going to cause any, you know, long-term ramifications to his development. And I, I think it's fine. I think it's, I think it's actually a positive. Um, and in the meantime, you know, the Blackhawks get to look at a, you know, a few more guys, you know, Gustafson will get a little bit of extra uh, five on five time in the top four. Uh, they can take a little longer look at the Dahlstrom Murphy pairing and see if that's actually something that might work. Um, I mean, you know, actually what was interesting, I was going to mention that is uh, the first game without Yoki Haru uh, was against uh, Nashville and Manning was not re-entered into the lineup. Right. Yeah. I, I really bed, think they're, yeah. I mean, that's I, I and I think that was a fear a lot of people have is like, oh, he's gonna be gone and they're gonna be wasting time on Manning again. And at least in the first game, they didn't. I, I really think that they've come to realize that Manning was just a mistake. And for the time being, you know, they're still hopeful that maybe they can still move him or at least part of his money. Um, but I don't think they're going to let it get in the way of you know, the development of the other guys and not only, you know, is Yoki Haru when he returns, is he going to be put right back into the lineup? Um, but I mean, we already saw Dahlstrom got called up from the AHL and was playing over Manning and he's played pretty well. And I expect as long as he keeps playing well, that he's going to stay in the lineup over Manning. And even if he struggles, I think they'll um, continue to play him over Manning. And the same with Gustav Forsling. I, I I just I think they've made the decision to move on from Ruta, Manning, and Davidson whenever he returns. I think he's starting to practice again here soon. Um, but I expect Davidson will just be released, um, and Manning will probably get the Ruta treatment and sent down to uh, the AHL at some point, uh, assuming Dahlstrom looks like somebody that they want to develop or not. Yep. And otherwise Manning will just be the seventh D. I, yeah. You know. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm thinking too. Um, yeah. Well, I guess we've talked enough about the current Blackhawks. And as, as I promised last week, you would talk about the uh, Blackhawks Avalanche series from 1996. Cause mm-hmm. I enjoyed talking about the 95 uh, season last, last week. So yeah, but this yeah. is fun. And just I a like little, yes, exactly. Uh, I'll give a little refresher. Um, the '96 team looked a lot like the '95 team. Uh, one in addition, uh, big Bob Probert, the late great mm-hmm. Bob Probert, was added to the team. Who actually, you know, I don't know if people will believe this now that didn't watch it back then. Actually, was a pretty good goal scorer for mm-hmm. being a, a fighter. But yeah. um. But yeah, um, anyway, was... yeah, they finished third. I'll let you probe that in a minute, but I'll set it up for everyone. Um, they made the playoffs the third uh, seed in the West back when it was just a best of eight and there's no divisional brackets. Um, and they swept the Calgary Flames in round one, three versus six, and that set up a matchup with the number one seed, uh, Colorado Avalanche. And, of course, um, the Avalanche were... 
the best team back then by a pretty fair amount that year. They were absolutely loaded. Yeah, they were they were the original uh, eventual cup champs. Of course, their their best player was uh, Patrick Waugh, the goalie, who they had gotten from the Montreal Canadiens after a pretty amazing story, I have to say. Um, in which, yeah, uh, Waugh was left a game where the uh, Montreal gave up nine goals, and they would not pull him from the game. And finally, after getting pulled against the Red Wings, uh, he went over to the team president and said, I'm never playing for your team again. And he was right. He was traded to the Avalanche like within a week, which that's yep. kind of an amazing story. Yeah, yeah. That was a tumultuous time for the, the Canadians. Uh, there's several fascinating stories uh, from that era with them of, of uh, bad trades and uh, decisions that uh, went awry, uh, much like the, the the Blackhawks had with you know Ronick and uh, Belfour and Chelios and um, with that group. Uh, I mean, the, the Canadians had come off the the, the Cup win in 1993, and yeah, Wah and uh, Kirk Muller and a couple of other guys had kind of gotten shipped off unceremoniously and yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, the avalanche were absolutely loaded that year. I, you know, not only do you have one of, if not the greatest goalie of all time, but um, you know, you had guys like Joe Sackick and Peter Forsberg and uh, uh, they had picked up Sandus Ozel Lynch to kind of be the, the, the last piece for them as the puck moving defenseman uh, that they had been lacking and uh, yeah, I mean they 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 never really steamrolled anybody in the Western Conference that year. Um, I mean they the, the Blackhawks put up a good fight, and then the the real Cup final that year was basically the Avalanche versus Red Wings in the in the conference finals, uh, kind of. Yeah, like and then there was the, that, uh, the equivalent of the 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 Blackhawks and Kings series from a few years ago, where the Kings came out on top. Yeah, and then there was the bizarre. Florida Panthers with their plastic rats at somehow yep. the finals they got destroyed by the Avalanche, but yeah, yeah, that's the uh, the kind of the interesting thing with the ninety five ninety six season is it it was kind of the year where we really saw the the dead puck era, um, or at least the philosophies of the dead puck era gain a lot of credence and. Uh, um, the Devils had kind of ushered it in a little bit with their success. Uh, but I think a lot of people still considered it a little bit of a fluke sort of thing. But then when the Panthers went on their run, uh, where they basically just hooked and held and slowed the game down and relied on a good goalie, and it, you know, they, nobody on that team scored goals. And yeah, it was just a bunch of third line grinders basically that they rode to the finals. Um, and they just did it by, you know, it not fun <laughs> method. So 95, 96 was kind of the last gasp of, um, you know, it wasn't quite as open as, as the, the eighties, um, or the early nineties. Uh, you know, I, a lot of people reference the eighties as the real wide open, but, kind of like, I want to say 92, 93 
was really kind of the last year. Um, that was like when Solani uh, came in and scored 76 goals as a rookie. And I think there were like three or four guys that scored uh, 70 goals that year. And, um, but yeah, but then by 95, 96, it was the, that was kind of the, the, the last gasp of that style of hockey. And uh, the avalanche had, you know, the kind of team that could kind of do both. And uh, they, uh, they had one hell of a team, but you know, like I said, I, I enjoyed that series against them because you know, the, the Hawks, they put up a good fight and, um, you know, it was, uh, Ronick wasn't quite the player that he had been previously. He had come back from his knee injury. Uh, he was still a point per game type guy, but he wasn't the 50 goal scorer and hundred point guy that he had been previously. Yeah. Uh, and, but, um, you know, that's going to say the guy who, would uh, that I guess I can spoil it a little bit. My favorite player of the two thousands, and possibly my one of my favorite all time Blackhawk player, uh, Tony Amonti, mm-hmm. was starting to become yeah. what he, he would be, but he wasn't quite there yet. But he was starting to become that. Yeah, he had. Uh, I think that was his first thirty goal season with the Blackhawks. I think he had had one with the Rangers early on. And then when he had first came over to the Blackhawks, he had kind of uh, fallen off the pace a little bit. But in 95, 96 is kind of when he reemerged and, uh, you know, really became, uh, um, you know, uh, starting to become, a you know, one of the best goal scorers in the league. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that was, you know, it was an interesting group. I mean, Ronick still led the team in goals. Uh, I, I actually just pulled up the stats here. Yeah, he had 32 uh, but then Amante finished with 31 and Daze finished with 30 as a 20 year old, which uh, that was his first 30 goal season, but it wouldn't be his last. And then, you know, obviously Amante would go on to score 40 goals at, at least once, if not twice, I think. But yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, not only was it the last gasp for more wide open hockey, but unfortunately ended up being the last gasp for the Blackhawks as an actual contender. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, like, Let's look at it a little bit more of the games because sure. I'll go through the games a little bit because it's interesting. Oh, wait. Hey, before we do that, I do have to say the trade deadline that year, I absolutely hated the trade that the Blackhawks made. I think they made their team worse. Uh, they traded uh, Patrick Poulin and Igor Ulanov for uh, Enrico Ciccone which was just another big, slow defenseman who took stupid penalties. I, they weakened their forward group and they made their defense uh, less offensive. (laughs) And uh, I, I I think they actually worsened their team at the deadline and it did that trade always bugged me. And I do remember uh, being like later on regretting, like why did they trade Patrick Poulin? I do remember that. Yeah, because did he end up on like the Carolina? Where did he end up? Uh, well, I mean, the trade was with Tampa, but I mean, he bounced around a little bit. I want to say he went to Montreal for a while. I mean, he never really became what was originally hoped for with him. 
Um, I mean, actually, his best seasons kind of came. I mean, he's a guy who had debuted at 19 years old. And I just pulled up. Yeah, yeah. It was as a nineteen as a nineteen year old, it was his only twenty goal season in the NHL, and that was in ninety two ninety three with Hartford before the Blackhawks picked him up. And you know he was supposed to become, you know, a top six winger, and he kind of settled in as a nice third liner for most of his career. But I mean, a, a nice third liner is better than a number six seven defenseman Enrico Ciccone. And then you know, of course, we threw. Uh, uh, Igor Ulanov in that deal too. And I just, oh, I just, I hated that deal at the time. And I still hate that deal today. And I think it ruined whatever chances that they had. Not that those guys were difference makers, but I just hate losing depth in a deal. And they did that. And uh, I just, it always bugged me. Yeah. That's where I got Carolina confused on the whalers first. That's right. Did yeah. I- yeah. But anyway, let's get to the actual series. Uh, mm-hmm. Game one went to overtime, and uh, Jeremy Rodick scored the game winner in overtime, which for some reason, like, I always remember that one goal. I don't know why. Where it was like well, a rebound. See, that's not the goal that, that I remember. That's well, not well, the one I remember. What was the one that you remember? I remember the Sergei Kravikrasov goal. Oh, okay. In overtime in... Chicago for game three of the yep. of yep. the series. Yep. Because the Avalanche, um, after the Blackhawks won game one, three to two, the Avalanche won the second game pretty easily, five to mm-hmm. one. Um, but then game three went to overtime again. I want to say multiple. Was it second or third? No, the, uh, the, they lost. In, a lot of these games went into overtime. Uh, the Blackhawks won two out of the first three games of the series, like you said, Ronick had scored the, the overtime winner in game one. And then Kriva Krasov came up with the game winner in uh, game three. And, uh, but then uh, I, I, the next game went into overtime. And I think you're right. I think it was like a two or three overtime game and the avalanche ended up winning it. And then they won the next game. And then they, and, and then I, I think even the next game was in, went into overtime as well. I, it, it was just one of those classic series where everything was close and, you know, there were long overtime games with dramatic goals to win it and that sort of thing. And so, it was, you know. Yeah, and of course the most famous moment was in that game that they lost game four. Uh, Jeremy Roenick came, got a breakaway in some point in one of the overtimes, maybe the second overtime, but he got tripped, and everyone in the, watching the game, a lot of people, thought it was a penalty shot. Mm-hmm. But they didn't give him a penalty shot, and the Avalanche went on to win. Yeah. And uh, they complained, you know, Ronick complained after the game, so the reporters went to Patrick Waugh and told him that he was complaining about um, the lack of a penalty shot. And uh, Patrick Waugh, the famous uh, clip, or famous quote where he said, I cannot hear Jeremy Roenick. I have two Stanley Cup rings blocking my ears. <laughs> I cannot hear what he's saying. Which, of course. Yeah. Um, my Patrick Waugh impression. Yeah, yeah that, that was great French-Canadian impression there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, 
I, I want to say that was game four. Um, my recollection's a little hazy on it, but yeah, it, that was kind of a turning point in the series where the Hawks had been up two to one and looked like they were about to go up three to one, uh, but didn't, you know, we didn't, didn't get to seal that deal. And the avalanche came back and won that game and never looked back. They, you know, they won the rest of the games in the series, even though it was still pretty close, but um, yeah, I mean, you know, if the Hawks go up three to one in that series. It's, you know, it would have been a, a, a rematch against the Red Wings in the next series. And, you know, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, exactly. It. That was actually the game series ending wasn't like double overtime because I looked it up and the uh, winning goal was scored by Sandus Ogilinch, so who I think, did he play another 15 years or something? Oh, yeah. He played, I mean, he played, time. played for a long time. Yeah. But he was, you know, he was uh, often criticized as a not good defensive defenseman. But, I, you know, that was just sort of the, um, you know, the way those type of players were viewed in the NHL back at that time. It was, you know, a lot of guys, if you weren't physical, you couldn't be good on defense. And I, I always thought that that was kind of a, a bad take. But, um, I mean, Ozelinch definitely had a lot of offensive ability. Um, and he was really their only defender that, could play that way. The rest of their guys were, um, you know, kind of the classic stay at home defensive defensemen like Adam foot and, um, Alexei Gusarov. And, uh, I'm trying to remember who else might've been on that team, but yeah, I mean, they were, uh, Syl- Sylvain Lefebvre. He was another guy that was pretty good for them, but yeah, I mean, it, you know, but for them, it was really about their forward group. It was, you know, it was, such a deep, deep group where they could roll, you know, three lines that could score at you. And of course their, their first two lines were just so dominating. I mean, you know, it was Sackick and, uh, geez, it was Deadmarsh, Sackick, and I'm trying to remember who was on their well, left. Forsberg, of course. Yeah. Forsberg on the second line with, uh, Lemieux, and uh, I want to say Valerie Kamensky. He might have played with Sackick, though. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was a, a, an embarrassment of riches as far as their their forward group. Um, but, yeah, it was – yeah. But, you know, the Blackhawks, they, they were good, too. I mean, they – you know, we kind of talked about it with the, the team the year before. Um, you know, I think the one thing that might have set the Blackhawks – back from the avalanche was um, a lot of the Blackhawks players were more one dimensional than they were two dimensional. Um, I mean, Bernie Nichols was a good offensive player, not much in the defensive zone. Same with um, Joe Murphy, uh, Eric Daze, you know, those were guys that brought offensive talent, but, uh, you know, weren't quite as strong defensively. And then, um, you know, they had, and I guess I shouldn't say that too much. I mean, you had, uh, um, why am I, Oh, uh, 
Brent Sutter and Murray Craven and uh, Bob Prober, you know, those were all guys that, uh, you know, played pretty good two-way games. So, I, I, you know, I do feel like the, the Blackhawks had a pretty good middle six there for, you know, kind of depth. But, yeah, I mean, when you're talking about a guy like, you know, Joe Murphy in comparison to Valerie Kamensky or Bernie Nichols in comparison to a Peter Forsberg, um, you know, it was just, you know, yeah, not quite the same caliber. Favorite. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, well, enough reminiscing, I guess. We've got, I'll let you do a preview. Although, of course, with the Christmas break coming up, there might not be that many games this week, but I will let you preview what few games there are. Yeah, yeah. We do got three games before the break. Um, so tomorrow night we got uh, the Dallas Stars up first. And uh, they're right now, they are sitting just outside of the playoffs. I, I, th- I think they're the ninth seed right now, and the, they're a couple of points back. And so, you know, they're going to be a really hungry team, uh, you know, looking to take advantage of, a, you know, a Blackhawks squad that's bringing up the rear. So it, it's going to be a, a road game in Dallas. And so that that's going to be a really tough game. I think, um, I, I think the Blackhawks have to be prepared for Dallas to try and, you know, get out to a really quick start on them and try and bury the Hawks early. You know, as we've seen, the Hawks are susceptible to that. Um, so I, I think they need to prepare for that, that early onslaught from Dallas. Um, but you know, Dallas is a team, you know, they're, they're basically a 500 team. So, I think if the Hawks can withstand that 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 early salvo and not fall behind two to nothing after the first period, which has been so common for them, I I, I think they can probably hang with the Stars pretty well. Um, but then uh, it, it doesn't doesn't get any easier. In fact, it gets tougher because they got a back to back where they're going to have to travel from Dallas to Colorado to take on the avalanche and the avalanche are playing really good hockey and they got one of the best, um, top lines in all of the NHL right now. I mean, they are really, uh, a a high scoring group that's tough to contain. Um, very much like Winnipeg is with their top line. Um, the Avalanche are not real deep beyond those three guys. Um, and the, those three guys, I guess it's worth mentioning that it's Nathan McKinnon at center with Gabrielle Landeskog and Miko Rontanen. Um, it's just a really good young group. Really yeah, dynamic. Rontanen has really come into his own this year. Yeah, he's kind of, yeah, he's kind of uh, taking over as one of, if not the best right wing in the, in the league right now. Uh, he's just, he's playing out of his mind. Um, you know, obviously Kane still is in that conversation and, you know, obviously a few other guys, but um, I, I, I think he, uh, Rontanen is a guy that he's been around for a couple of years. And so fans might be familiar with his name, but unless they've been paying close attention to the avalanche this year, um, they may not be quite as familiar with just how good he's been. Um, uh, I just actually just looked it up. Yeah, I mean, he's got in 34 games, he scored 15 goals and 41 assists. So he's 
well up over a point and a half per game. So, I mean, that's, you know, territory that not even Patrick Kane has been at in, you know, a couple of years here. So that's a, that's a really good group, but if you can, if you can withstand their top line, which few teams have so far, but if you can, you can hold those guys in check. They, they don't have a lot of depth beyond that. So um, they're a very top heavy group right now, but uh, yeah. So uh, in the second game of a back-to-back both on the road, that's, that's going to be tough. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't expect the, uh, the Hawks to, uh, to be able to withstand that very well. Um, and my guess is, trying to think of how they'll want to play that i'm guessing that delia will probably play the dallas game and then they might try to lean on cam ward against uh the avalanche i'm not sure that uh putting delia for in for his first game is the back end of a double header against the better team is the the right way to go um first but yeah obviously the they, yeah they, they'll 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 split those two games between the two goalies so then they do have one day off um, on Saturday, and then they'll play. They'll they'll come back home and get to play the Panthers, which uh, is a much easier matchup. Obviously, not just because it's at home, but uh, the Panthers are one of the worst teams in the Eastern Conference this year. Um, they're not as bad as the Hawks, but they're well outside the playoff race at the moment. And uh, um, I, I guess we did play them a couple of weeks back in. Yeah, Florida. that was a dramatic uh, last yeah. second goal to send it to overtime. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, I guess the fans are probably at least a little familiar with that. So I don't think we really need to to deep dive into them. But then, yeah, then they'll have the uh, Christmas break starting, and I, I do think it's worth noting that uh, the NHL does have a. Um, uh, a, a moratorium put on roster moves um, around uh, the Christmas time frame. I, I think it actually starts on Saturday night or Sunday night. Yeah, it's like I thought it was like the twenty third. It's like yeah. the twenty third to the twenty sixth or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So um, you can still send guys up and down from the minors, I believe, but you can't uh, put anybody on waivers. You can't make any trades. Um, so, you know, obviously sometimes there's a little bit of, of a flurry of activity, um, prior to that so that teams can, uh, you know, kind of gets things in before that, that deadline gets put in, but, uh, you know, it's usually more just guys put on waivers and that, but yeah, um, you know, I wouldn't expect the Hawks. I, you know, the good thing is, other than the the uh, the poor game in Winnipeg, or I mean, not Winnipeg, in San Jose, where they kind of fell apart after Crawford uh, got injured, which I, I think is a, a, a pretty good, uh, I guess we could say, excuse. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, the team has been playing a little better. They're playing a little more sound in the defensive zone. Um, the one thing that I've noticed is they're starting to break out of their defensive zone with a little more confidence and a little bit quicker. Um, the the forwards are giving the defensemen a little bit 
uh, options uh, a little more frequently. And then, you know, once the puck gets up to the, the first forward, they're able to move the puck to, um, you know, a second forward a lot quicker. And then those defensemen are starting to jump in the play and, uh, you know, really provide uh, some speed through the neutral zone. And uh, that's at least an encouraging sign to me. It seems like they're starting to pick up Colleton's system a little bit more than what we've seen over the previous few weeks. That, it, so that was really my takeaway from the last week of games was I, I think they're starting to figure it out a little bit and things are starting to become a little more natural and they're not yeah, thinking I, as much. I, I think you're right. Um, anyway, I guess then uh, we'll be back at some point before the winter classic. I don't know exactly when with, you know, Christmas and stuff coming up, but we'll be back before the Blackhawks have to play in another winter classic, which I'm going to have some thoughts on that when we get to that. Cause I don't, yeah, yeah. We can spend a little time playing. next week talking about that. But uh, anyway, um, I am, of course, STH85 on Twitter, and Michael. MJ underscore Ernst. All right. Of course, our podcast is uh, available on iTunes if you want to listen. And um, until uh, sometime next week, uh, thanks for listening.